0: So, we begin this time on this All Saints. Uh, This is the day that we gather and we give uh, thanks to God for the saints in our lives. Uh, We lift up thanks for the gifts of the resurrection and celebrate that. And, uh, you know, we read through that list of names. And if that list of names seemed longer to you than usual, it is. Uh, We had quite a long list this year. And uh, I find as I uh, grow older that uh, there's more and more people on that list uh, that I know and who are close to me. And, uh, you know, they become a part of my reality in different kinds of ways. Uh, In in Hebrews, in the 12th chapter, is the passage that's often read on this Sunday, where Paul writes, and rather the writer of Hebrews writes and says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. A number of years ago a theologian named Carlisle Marnie talked about this passage and he used the phrase balcony people these are the folks that are in the balcony overlooking our lives but really when Paul uses this he's using the image of the crowd that that lines the route when you're running a race and they're cheering for you as you're coming in especially as you're preparing to cross the finish line and they're there cheering you on and urging you forward uh, and they're present with you it's not that they're at a distance but they're they're present with you and sometimes I even feel like some of my saints are running the race alongside me. Uh, there, there's times I feel very much like uh, my good friend Jake Reynolds is, is right here beside me uh, speaking into my life as I'm going down this path, uh, the journey of my faith that I'm on. And, uh, and so, you know, those, those people are around us and, and surrounding us and we're connected with them. And I'm, I'm up here preaching this morning aware that behind me on this altar are the Bibles of Jim Jones and Jim Scott. And uh, I don't know whether I should be uh, intimidated to have those two gentlemen looking over my shoulders, or just—I uh, think mostly—just greatly encouraged uh, to know that they're here with me uh, in, in this moment and in this time. Uh, they're there with us, and we're connected with them. It's not—it's um, not something from a distance. It's not something that will happen someday, but it's a reality we live in now. And, and this morning, I want to spend a little time with you. Know what does that mean uh, to celebrate the gift of the resurrection and to recognize that our saints uh, are people who have blessed us, but are still connected with us in very, very real ways. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we do come this morning and give you thanks and praise for the saints you've blessed us with. And we ask this morning that you open our minds and our hearts to hear the word you bring us. Uh, Let your spirit rest upon us in this time. Uh, May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. If you're just choosing to join with us now and come on live stream with us, we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we're leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in His image. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us, and uh, hopefully you found the, uh, the live chat if you're on your computer on the side, and our hosts there can interact with you. Otherwise, I encourage you to go to the website for further information, or to use the call in prayer line if you have a prayer request you wish to submit. So thinking about this whole idea of, of, of resurrection and eternal life, I, I want to go, go back to this passage that I read the other day. This is uh, uh, after the death of, of Lazarus when Jesus has come to the village of Bethany. And Martha greets him as he shows up. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now now Jesus means in the next few minutes. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But listen to what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Now, it's interesting when he replies to her, he doesn't talk about what's going to happen in the future or in the next few minutes, but he talks about the relationship. I want you to tuck that away in your mind and hold on to it. Somebody once wrote an article and they were talking about Christians and how we are always talking about, you know, we want to go to heaven or we've been saved and what does it mean to get to heaven and what does it look like? and We don't really know. And, and, and he asked questions. He said, you know, well, you know, we, we, we do kind of have a roadmap, you know, for what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, if you're going from one place to another, you want to know how to get there. And I, and I pulled this up because, you know, we do our church retreat uh, out at the HEB Foundation Camp near Lakey. Those of you who've been know it truly is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, and we send this map out because if you don't have this map, we don't know if you're going to get there or not. And sometimes even then we have people calling us to get directions at the last minute. You'll notice it takes almost three hours uh, to, to, to reach the place. And it's out there by Lakey, Texas. It really is truly in the middle of, of nowhere by the definition of that. And, and so we send out a map and, and scripture gives us roadmaps, if you will, about ways to live and how to be in relationship with God. And perhaps the, the easiest way to understand that is when Paul says, you know, if, if you believe in your heart, pastao, we talked about last week, believe, have faith, entrust your life into God's hands. If you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, uh, then you're saved. I mean, so so very simple kinds of directions at time, and yet ones that are very all-encompassing in the way we live them out about how we get there. But the other question is, in addition to a roadmap, you need to kind of know what to expect when you get there so we send out you know information to the people that are coming to the church retreat and we say this is the things you need to bring Uh, and keep in mind that you're going to be out here in the middle of nowhere and so you need these items with you and so forth Uh, remember that when you drive down in the canyon your cell phone won't work anymore so don't don't plan on using that while you're there things like that we want to know something about where we're going and what it's going to look like and scripture is is actually fairly skimpy on its descriptions of what heaven looks like But when it does speak about it, it speaks about it as something that is much, much more than what we live into now. One of my favorite passages is in 1 Corinthians when Paul is writing to the church. He's talking to a group of people who are arguing about, is there really a resurrection of the body or not? And, And he writes these words in the 15th chapter. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. but God gives it a body as God has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that's first, but the physical and then the spiritual the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. I mean, it's this interesting kind of uh, comparison he makes. You know, when you plant a seed, uh, the seed doesn't look like necessarily what's going to grow from it. So if you plant an acorn, it's, it's hard to imagine from that little acorn will grow this magnificent oak tree that will spring forth from that. Uh, and he says in the same way, you know, our bodies, these are, these are the image of the man of dust. And, and, and in the resurrection, we take on the image of the man of heaven. And, and there's a change that takes place. From this physical body to a spiritual body, a transformation from mortal to immortal and and from weak to powerful, uh, this change that happens. Uh, As I read that when I was younger, oftentimes I don't think it really had much impact on me. As I get older, I wonder more about it. Uh, It seems to indicate that there's something very corporeal about us in the resurrection and yet something very different about us in the resurrection. I've wondered sometimes if in the image of God that that is implanted in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we don't have some idea of that and that that doesn't sometimes drive our uh, uh, imaginations about uh, being able to have some kind of superpower or something, that somehow we're more than what we are, um, that somehow we're beyond this. Uh, but when you read the resurrection appearances of Christ uh, you, you get some picture of what it might look like because Jesus comes and he's with the disciples they can talk to him and hear him they can touch him he eats with them i mean he's he has a presence that they're very much aware of and, and yet at the same time he appears inside a locked door and then he's gone he's there in front of him and then he vanishes uh, and so there's this interesting kind of picture you get that there's there's a body, but it's not the same body we have now. Now, when you're young, that doesn't sound like such a big deal, right? Because when you're young and, you know and, and you do things, you go out and you do whatever you want to do and, and and then you go to bed, and in the morning, you know your body's recovered, and you're back ready to start all over again. When you get to be my age, you go out and do whatever you want to do, and you go to bed, and like a week later you start recovering. You know, sometimes you get up in the morning and things are talking to you. Uh, well, you shouldn't have done that. You know, this hurts or that hurts. And you begin to, to to kind of live into this. Oh, you know, this this transformation that Paul talks about in the resurrection begins to sound better. You know, to be in, in, in this body that, that is transformed into something else that carries the strength and the power of God within it. To be able to think about a place where, you know, we're, we're not going to have to face Alzheimer's anymore or Parkinson's or, or cancer or heart problems or all those different things that afflict us. But, but to be in a place where e- even COVID doesn't exist and has no power over us. And Paul draws this picture. This is part of what heaven is like, this transformation that takes place in us. And, and the dwelling place we're in, again, it, it is a transformation, uh, the, probably the only place in Scripture we get a really wonderful description of that is out of the Revelation to John when he talks about the, the new Jerusalem, the holy city. And he describes it with these wonderful kinds of terms. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now you should know right there he's talking about something fundamentally changed. The first heaven first earth that we know is no more. Uh, the sea, remember at the beginning of Genesis, the Spirit's moving over the waters? Uh, the sea from which all of creation is, 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 is shaped that God uses to build creation, it's no more. This, he's telling you this is the culmination of all God's creation, when it is finally the way God planned from the beginning. And all the things that we have known and, and battled with and wrestled with are no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. You hear? The gates are always open. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree or for the healing of the nations nothing accursed will be found there anymore but the throne of god and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night they need no light of lamp or sun for the lord god will be their light and they will reign forever and ever in this, this glorious image of this place where, where everything is as God intended where, where nothing occurs, no brokenness none of our, our sin, none of that is, is anymore because God has brought healing to all of that as he gathers us in his presence and we see him face to face we live in the light of his presence now some people have tried to, to take this and try to figure out what, what does that look like and you can find all kinds of amazing artwork around this trying to, to picture what it might look like if you actually read it literally, uh, you'll discover that it's extremely difficult to try to get a mental picture of, of that description. But, but when John writes to us and, and relays this vision to us, what he wants us to hear is this is something far beyond what we live in now. It, 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 it's a reality that's much closer to what God intended. And the glory of God is suffused throughout this reality and, and more than a place or a time, do you hear it's about a relationship? To be in the presence of God, to see God face to face, to have God reach out and wipe every tear from our eyes, to have God bring healing to every part of who we are in our lives and our world. It's more about the relationship than anything else, this connection with God and being in the presence of God himself. When we begin to understand that, that that all this talk about heaven and all this talk about eternal life rises out of this relationship with God that that we live into and that the life of God becomes part of us, then it begins to make sense that the kingdom is not just something that is off-distance in time or space, but rather it's already present with us. It's already breaking into the midst of our lives. Listen as Paul describes this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I had been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And again in Romans. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin for whoever has died is free from sin. And you need to hear that that passage there especially because John Wesley takes that passage and says, you know, it's not simply that your guilt is forgiven, but you're freed from the power of sin in your life. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I mean, the kingdom's breaking into the reality of our lives already if we are willing to allow it. The reality of heaven is not something off in the distance, and it's not something off in the future. Although it reaches its culmination there, it's already breaking into the midst of the world we live in. And when we open ourselves to it, a bit of heaven begins to dwell within us. And if you think about the saints you know, that you love those people who have been particular inspirations in your life, you will remember that those times when you saw a little bit of the glory of God reflected on their face. Or you experienced some of the love of God being given to you through them. Because a little bit of heaven was already dwelling within them and being imparted to you. What that life look like? Paul says it looks something like this. God, who's rich in mercy out of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. God has, has created us to be this. We are brought together with Christ and made alive in Christ. Somebody this week uh, in one of the, the devotionals I was reading talked about the fact that we, we talked about you know, God joining with us here, but the other side of that is that we're lifted up with Christ as well. That not only does God dwell in the midst of us, but we already dwell with one foot in the heavenly realms when we become alive in Christ and give ourselves to Christ. And when we come on these days and we celebrate the saints, that's why they're able to be with us, because we're already got one foot in the heavenly realm. We're already connected with the life of God, and in the life of God, those saints of our lives are still connected to us through the power of God's life and the glory of God's presence. And in the midst of that, they give us the encouragement to live fully into that that holy city, that new Jerusalem that God intends for us and to live in that hope and to already know some of that glory moving in our lives. The reality of heaven, the reality of heaven isn't just something that's down the road somewhere. The reality of heaven is already part of the life we live so, so as I close this, this time, I, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. I've done this before with you before, but um, this is a powerful prayer of blessing that Paul gives to the church. And I'm going to ask you at home as well as you in the room, if you'll just hold your hands out with your palms up and, and, and receive this blessing as the people of God. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.